All right, you guys, this is another compilation video. And what we're putting together today is the top 10 exercises that everyone should be doing. So if you've been watching my stuff lately, uh, I did about five-ish episodes. And I honestly thought I was not going to get to that point because the moment I filmed the first episode of the top 10 exercises everyone should do, I realized that there's so much more branches and things I needed to say, and it became like a five-part series. So I wanted to put all of them together so we have it all in one file, one place to review. And now this video is close to in three hours. So I know it's a lot, but if you are gonna go down the rabbit hole of exercise selection in your own programs, for your client's programs, this is going to be well worth the watch to go through. And, you know, I think it's really valuable as when I bring up certain exercises that I do, I explain why. And I think that's the most important thing in these videos is the why behind why I'm choosing a certain exercise for my clients. And again, all of this um, stuff is primarily for the general population that I work with. And I explain, again, why certain things I use for the general population. Again, if you work with any other population other than Gen Pop, this may not be, um, you know, that useful. But in reality, when you think about the human body, we have a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving parts that have to move effectively. And if they don't, then maybe a barbell bench press won't be the best thing to use. Um, so you'll see really clearly my whole kind of mindset when it comes to piecing programs together and choosing what exercises should fit in there. Um, for those who are listening, I would 100% watch this instead of listen to it. Um, there is going to be a lot of video demonstration of the exercises. And, uh, but you know what? I try to be as descriptive as possible. So let's just get right into it because I don't want to ramble on. But I will say, because I did this in the last video and it, you guys listened, like if you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel, like you should at this point, like if any of the videos I ever put out and it helped you, like the least you could do is just support me because the more subscribers I get, it's going to push me into that algorithm of YouTube to be, you know, recognized. And it's interesting because when I get more subscribers, people will actually message me and be like, literally this video on whatever topic I went on, they're like, this was, this was really good. And I find that a lot of my videos that I put together is kind of like, I take one topic and I throw in as much information into it as possible because I've been in this industry for 12 years and I've picked up quite a bit. And I just kind of take all that information I've consumed over the decade and a bit and simplify it to real world situations because I still work with people in person, which is so important when it comes to fitness and health nowadays when everyone's trying to go online. But um, please subscribe, please leave a comment because again, that pushes me into that algorithm. 
and you know we surpassed 400 so thank you guys so much who are already subscribers and for those that have been watching my stuff and haven't taken this one second the half second to literally hit the like subscribe button just go do it plus when i post something new you'll you'll know <laughs> um so again i'm gonna ramble i'm rambling still uh we're gonna get right into the video so here it is the top 10 exercises everybody should be doing the whole thing here we go what's up my podcast listeners this is your host Rafael matuszewski and I'm psyched about today's episode because we're going to get into um, all the exercises that I end up doing with clients. So this is kind of based on a recent post that Ben Bruno uh, put up about um, one of his tweets a year ago. And I remember following him like when I first started in the industry and other coaches have said this before and when you really think about it and if you really audit your um, training programs you kind of recycle and reuse about 10 to 15 same exercises year in year out sure they evolve sure there are progressions and regressions but you utilize those 10 to 15 exercises for everyone, but then fine tune them for um, the individual's needs. So I was thinking to myself, well, maybe I should do an episode on, you know, the 10 exercises that I tend to use a lot and tell you why, um, kind of give you some information about where it would fit in with certain uh, individuals and scenarios and you know when we kind of go through this um, the thing to remember is that every single exercise that I bring up it's not the end-all be-all it's not um, you know you have to do these but in my experience working with the general population these are the ones that tend to work the best for anyone dealing with an injury, anyone dealing with, um, you know, the goals of getting stronger, burning uh, fat, gaining muscle, those things, these exercises tend to kind of attack those goals. And, you know, without kind of going all over the place, maybe we can say that these 10 exercises that I use with clients are for the general population that are looking to move and feel better, that are looking to work around an injury, who are looking to lose weight and gain muscle and just overall become a badass in the gym. And I'm going to showcase how that's going to look. So I'm going to do my little screen share. Perfect. I'm going to get my screen a little bit bigger here. Okay. So how do you even like categorize um, where you kind of start? And, you know, when it comes to programming, I always kind of think, okay, if I'm dealing with general population, what is like the number one thing 
that they all need, um, what they're terrible at, and what would kind of hit the lowest hanging fruit first and kind of spill over into other facets of fitness. And the number one thing, at least in my opinion, that I see with general population that they need and they need to work on and what they say they need is core. Like I have never had a conversation with a client that's the general population that hasn't mentioned that I need a stronger core. I need to get abs and anything to do with their midsection. So knowing that it's like, okay, well maybe that becomes a hierarchy of my programming. Maybe that becomes my main focus. And that is like literally the reason why all my programs for my general population people that I train, the first superset is a core section because one, that is the one thing that everybody needs that I see because they don't have the muscular endurance and stability requirements in order to do a lot of things when it comes to everyday life. And now you're putting them into a gym setting where you need high amounts of that. And now that becomes a whole different scenario, right? If like someone is hurting their lower back on a regular basis throughout the year, you can assume that that person needs some freaking core work, right? Like that's literally like training one-on-one, like people get low back pain most of the time because they don't know how to stabilize their lumbar spine, AKA they don't have strong core. So how the hell do I, you know, create a program that emphasizes that then I'm going to create a hierarchy. And in my programming, the first things that are at the top are the most important things. So Core is always the first thing. And I have done other programs where you don't start with core if they have other goals. But that's a whole other conversation that we could get into one of these days. But for today, to keep it simple, there's a couple core exercises that I tend to use a lot. And one of them being the dead bug. The dead bug is one of those exercises that... um, has been around forever, forever. But the big thing here is that a lot of people do not know how to properly engage their core. So my biggest thing is every time I train somebody and we have trouble activating certain things or, you know, especially in a dead bug, if I already have somebody that is unconditioned, not fit, going into a dead bug is probably going to trigger hip clicking, low back clicking, low back pain, and they don't really feel their abs. So how do I teach someone how to engage their core who doesn't really understand that? Because you can use every single coaching cue in the world and they still won't understand how to properly brace. So over the years, I've been like thinking like, how the hell can I, you know, do this? Especially like if I had 20 people in front of me, how do I teach that person how all these people to engage their core without, you know, over explaining it. And like, again, everyone wants everything quick. So how can I do that like that? And I kind of came up with this whole idea of like, you know, through the FRC, you're creating tension, you're creating 
irradiation and you know you're getting that um tension throughout your body and you feel it and i'm like well how can i do that in a dynamic setting like a dead bug and i was like i gotta create irradiation and something as simple as this variation of the dead bug where i have a yoga block just like in this video here wedged between my knee slash thigh into my forearm so when i extend i am pushing that block as hard as possible to create tension through that midsection that torso my core and right away people feel it and they're like holy shit this is the hardest dead bug ever and like i can have people who have been going to the gym on and off forever that have done dead bugs before and they do this and they're like this is literally the hardest thing i've ever done and the nice thing about this variation is like no matter how fit you are this will always be challenging because the harder you push the stronger you get the more force you can create which allows you to feel it more so this is literally a variation I now use with everybody, like everyone. And I've had so much success with it. And it's even simple where say you don't even have a yoga block, take your hand and push it into your knee as hard as possible. It's the same thing. So I was really, really happy when I came across this idea and like, you can use a stability ball, you can like, use a foam roller, anything like that. But say, for example, you're a general population person and this still bugs your lumbar spine. And I have to like bring this whole idea up. It's like, how do I create this variation for someone less conditioned, uh, not as fit as someone else? So there's a couple of variations here. Say, for example, I'm just in that start position, like you see here and maybe all i do is i push against each other uh the forearm and knee and i just use the arm going back and now i don't have to worry about my lumbar spine or maybe instead of extending the leg like this i'm gonna switch sides here bad timing sorry guys rather than extending the leg i have it bent and i just drop the heel down so now i cut the lever in half so much better right so there's a couple options there, but say someone that's like really unconditioned, what can I do? I could literally have both my, uh, this foot right here onto the ground. And maybe I just do, you know, tension where I just push and relax, push and relax. And you're going to still get some good core activation through that. Something really, really simple. And this is where, you know, I have my number one exercise right now for core. And I can literally scale it up and down depending on where the person is. If you're super fit or your first day at the gym, like I have an option for you. And that's where I think a lot of people miss the mark in programming is that they're trying to always find hard ass exercises, new exercises, different looking ones to keep it, you know, interesting. But literally you have to do the same shit over and over again. And if you're going to be on the side of like, oh, it's boring and I don't really like training the same things it's like well fuck like what else do you want from me because at the end of the day if you look at olympic weightlifters or like anyone weightlifting back in the day like before even arnold schwarzenegger you didn't really have a lot of stuff to go around with you don't have a lot of equipment but for some reason those people got stronger and leaner and bigger stronger faster 
right? It's the very basics, the very fundamentals that you should practice day in, day out to get fitter. But sure, I totally get the whole, like, I need to be engaged while I'm working out. But at the end of the day, workouts are not supposed to be the fun thing that you do. Like, some days are going to be shitty. Some days you're going to be hauling your ass to the gym or down to your basement. And you're like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, you can't have perfect days every single day of the week when you work out or every single month. Like, if you really audit, and like, I had this conversation with a client, like, a whole month of training there's probably maybe four workouts of the entire month if you're training multiple times a week where you're like fuck yeah 100 i'm totally into this i'm crushing it i love my life and then like the next i don't know 50 percent are just like in the middle and then the rest are just like i could be doing something else than this that's a whole other story but anyway dead bugs one of my go-tos. The other one, good old bird dog. But I have a specific one that I like using, and I've brought this up on my show. This guy. A bird dog isometric. So in this position, the, the reason why the bird dog is great is that it teaches low back stability right? Because when you, the moment you leave your arm and leg off the ground, you have only two points of contact. Now your knee and hand and technically your other foot. Anyway, two points of contact. And that requires stability of the lumbar spine and your core to work together to keep you stable. So you're reinforcing that pattern that when you say take a step, because you end up being on one point of contact when you take a step, when you walk, um, your lumbar spine will shift, your pelvis will move, your SI joint's going to move and all that fun stuff. But then all the musculature around it needs to be able to stabilize that movement without effing shit up. So the bird dog literally is a regression of teaching your body how to stabilize in a active motion. And almost every single person that I, um, train or have trained when I bring up the bird dog in their program, they're like, Oh, this thing, it's so stupid. But if you do this variation where we hold isometrically and literally as I'm doing this, I'm trying to drive my fist up towards the ceiling as high as possible. And that opposite knee that you could barely see here is driving up as high as possible. So not only am I working low back stability and core stability in this, I'm also working all the external rotators of my shoulder, and I'm also working the hip lateral uh, stabilizers of the opposite hip, which are two things that you need to do anything athletic, lunges, running, walking, climbing, swimming, you name it. So it's a lot jam-packed into this exercise. Just like the dead bug, there are so many different variations to make this harder, less harder, whatever it is. But I think for the sake of time, because I feel like this episode could go on for like two hours of me talking, um, I won't get into those. Maybe what I'll do is a part two of this and I'll use the 10 exercises and give you other variations to make it easier or harder. But bird dog, dead bug, those are two really, really, really important um, exercises that 
I always incorporate with um, clients, no matter where they are, who they are. Now, I'm going to add a third exercise in here for the core. And what I'm going to show you is farmer carries. Actually, you know what? I did a whole episode of farmer carries, which is right here, episode 517. If you haven't watched that yet, 100%. So farmer carries would be another one and all their variations. Everybody should be doing them. Why? Go watch the episode or listen to it. Um, I'm going to get into rollouts. Come on, YouTube. Come on, spelling. Here we go. Load, load, load. Here we go. All right. So, tall, kneel, roll out. Why do I like it? One, you are fighting extension. So, just in general, when you're looking at training the core, you need to understand the biomechanics of how your spine works and what it's made for. It's designed to resist motion. So if you're going off of that logic, you should probably train the same way that you're designed to, resisting motion. So if my spine can forwardly flex, extend, rotate, and laterally flex, then I should probably do exercises that fight that. So just core in general, say the rollout, we're fighting extension. And when it comes to selling, you know, my services and making people understand that I'm still trying to give them that aesthetic look that they're hoping for, any kind of rollout variation is going to fire up those six-pack muscles that you really, really want. But I'm also teaching um, the body how to, you know, resist extension and keep this, like, in order to keep this um, as straight as possible, a lot of things have to happen. All the core musculature here has to activate. My glutes have to activate. All of this has to stay strong. My shoulders have to stabilize. And then all in one go, I need to push back down so my serratus is on fire to bring this into a straight line. That is a challenging exercise. And again, if I wanted to make this easier, I don't roll out as far. Maybe I only roll out an inch and two and back. If I wanted to make this harder, maybe I go into a full plank and I start doing saws. Maybe I do stir the pots. Maybe I go into an ab wheel. Maybe I use the TRX. Like there's so many different variations, but the rollout is vital, just vital for training our core. Now I'm going to throw in one more exercise. So we have our dead bug, our bird dog, our rollouts and farmer carries. That's four already. I think I might do more than uh, 10. Um, so number five, um, we're going to go into like half kneeling chops and lifts. So something really easy, um, is a half kneeling. Ooh, yeah. business gets its first sale on. 
Don't you just love ads on YouTube? So half kneeling anti-rotation press. So in this one, what we're gonna just wait for a certain angle here. That's pretty good. Cable machine and half kneel position. When you're in a half kneel position, one, you are really challenging the hip that's down closest to the cable machine, all the stabilizers, along with conjunction with your core muscle muscles. So every time you press out, your body is fighting rotation. So again, we're going back to functional core. Um, the moment I am pressing out into that pal-off press, you are now at that point where the whole cable machine is trying to pull you this way. So core musculature has to keep me upright and my hip stabilizer has to really turn on to make sure I don't fall over. So these are all the little things that I put into my clients' programs because they suck at it, because they don't have those two things that I just mentioned. And it's going to transfer over to a lot of other things for us to move and feel better. There's all different sorts of types of half kneeling chops, lifts, cable chops, like you, you name it. There's so many different variables, uh, variations, sorry, that you can utilize. And again, I think this has to be a part two. So maybe this is going to be kind of like the introductory to my 10 exercises that I tend to use. So this is a staple, just hands down, you need to use it. Um, I'm pretty sure I have done another podcast about the benefits of half kneeling and tall kneeling. If not, I know for a fact that it's in my ebook. And if you haven't got it, 100% you should get it. We're going to move on because I feel I'm going to run out of time. So number six, we're getting into... Uh, we're going to get into a couple of things here. Let's get, you know what? Let's just use this deadlifts. Just in general, everyone that I train will deadlift in some shape and form. In this case, this video that I have is a sumo barbell deadlift. Do I have everyone barbell deadlifting? Hell no, because most people can't do so. But the deadlift itself is so vital. So if you look at anything that we do on a daily basis, ideally, if you're picking up something heavy off the ground, you'd want to get into a hinge or some sort of squat. I'm a huge, huge fan of getting people really strong in their posterior chain, AKA your calves, hamstrings, glutes, low back, mid back, upper back, just everything. Cause it's such a huge transfer to everyday life and all the exercises that you want to do in the gym. That being said, when I train somebody, we're not doing a barbell deadlift off the bat. We're going to learn how to hinge first because most general population people don't know how to fuck the hinge at all. And then um, we're going to progress it to say 
a kettlebell deadlift to a double kettlebell deadlift to maybe a trap bar deadlift and then eventually get to a barbell, right? Like eventually I would love to have every single client barbell deadlifting, but sometimes it just, it doesn't happen, right? But there's so many other ways to get to your goals. And one of the things that I always say is like when people are kind of married to an exercise, but they know that they either hit a plateau or, you know, every time they do it, they get a flare up. And then I just simply ask like, why do you want to do that exercise? And like, say it's a barbell uh, deadlift. And they'll all say like, oh, it works really well for my hamstrings and glutes. And I'm like, well, there's so many other exercises that you could do that are not barbell deadlifts that, you know, focus on the hamstrings and glutes. So like, are you powerlifting? Are you competing? No, then let's move on. Let's do something else. Like not rocket science. Anyway, deadlifting. I've done so many episodes on it and I have a lot of tutorials on my YouTube page. So that also reminds me if you are watching this and you're not subscribed, what are you doing? Come on, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Other thing. Goblet split squat. This is number seven. Let's go YouTube. Ooh, we got another ad, you guys. Here we go. All right, goblet split squat. Just such a foundational exercise. So I'm gonna pause it here. One, I feel that anytime I start with a general population person, they're not ready to do lunges just yet. If you look at what we kind of focused on just in the core section, there's a lot of hip stability stuff and core stability stuff, which are two things that require a huge demand when you're lunging. How many times have you done lunges or you've seen people do lunges where they're kind of wobbly all over the place and they can barely, you know, stay upright? Hip stability and core stability. So how can I utilize the scientific principle of specificity when I can't stabilize myself in a lunge position? So why not I eliminate one of the balance and stability um, components, which is locomotion, which is what lunges are, and focus on building the specific muscles involved in the lunge. Here's our split squat. Now let's layer something on top of it even more. This is why I don't like doing split squats with dumbbells by our side. I like the goblet position because the nature of the goblet one pushes you in the direction um, where the body needs to be. Because if I have a heavy enough load here, me tilting forward or rounding my shoulders too much, I'm gonna end up coming off my center of mass and falling forward. And your body's gonna naturally fight that off and stay upright in a better position. So now that I'm focusing on the rule of specificity with the muscles involved in lunging and targeting them more effectively and um, efficiently 
and loading it, I'm now building a like bulletproof or ironclad body, as I say, in this position. And this is what I do with every single person. I don't even care if you are advanced. If I gave you a hundred pound dumbbell in a goblet position, for sure the shit that that's going to be challenging for you. And maybe you can do it, but let's see if you can do it for 12 to 15 reps per side. That's definitely going to smoke you. If that's still not challenging enough, let's hold it isometrically for like 15 seconds aside with that weight. That's going to definitely smoke you. Like this is the thing where people get to a certain point and like have an ego of training that they're beyond the basics. Like you should go back to the basics and see if you can make it even better. Like just because you've been going on and off in the gym for years doesn't mean you're beyond the fundamentals. Like I've been working out for, I don't know, 15 years. The exercises that I do right now are still not good. Like I can improve on them, right? It's always going back to the fundamentals and getting really good at them, more efficient. So then you can see the progression. So split squats, one of the most underrated exercises for sure. Talking really fast in this episode. So the other thing here too is in order to regress this, something is doing like an assisted split squat is very, very simple to do in this situation. But uh, yeah, most people don't ever think of maybe I should do bar uh, like split squats, but no. Um, let's move on to the next one. So we have seven, right? Dead bug, bird dog, farmer carries, uh, half kneeling, chops, lifts, you name it. Uh, da, 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 da. What else did we do? Deadlifts. I feel like we're missing something. Can't think about it right now, but we are on number seven for sure. Similar to the deadlift, we are doing the single leg deadlift. So I could go on and on and on about the importance of learning how to do a single leg deadlift. But in this case, if I, ah, I need to freeze frame this. My joke in the clinic is that if I could get every single patient single leg deadlifting with like a 45 pound dumbbell or kettlebell, all their issues would go away. So let's look at the demand of a single leg deadlift from the bottom up. Foot stability, ankle stability, knee stability, hip stability, low back stability, grip strength, shoulder stability, core, and then we have hamstring strength, glute strength, adductor strength, lateral uh, hip stabilizers, all in one. This is probably like the holy grail of exercises in my opinion. And I can't find an exercise that is more sports specific, air quotes, and functional than this. So much bang for your buck. 
And I literally have every single person doing the single leg deadlift, even if they start progressing, progressing, there's so much other variations you can do. And same thing with like the split squad. If I gave us the strongest person that I train a 60 pound dumbbell to do a single leg deadlift, that's going to be challenging. Like when I do a 60 pound single leg deadlift, fuck, I am working hard to get down and back up. Like that's really challenging. So huge payoff with this. And a lot of times when people are plateauing in certain lifts, like a deadlift or back squat, you throw in a a cycle or two of single leg deadlifts that are heavy, you're going to see huge, huge, huge changes. All right. Got to make sure that I don't go over time here. Another classic. TRX rows. I can't find a better pulling exercise for the general population. So the very nature of a TRX, being able to choose whatever angle you want to go on, because how the TRX uh, works is that the lower you go with your feet, the harder it is. The higher up you are, the easier it is. So literally no matter where you are in your fitness and health journey, you can always use the TRX row. You can play around with tempo, you can play around with reps. And the reason why I love the TRX row is that it challenges, again, that posterior chain. Like digging my heels in allows me to engage my glutes, engage my core, and then adding, like if you look at this video, the way I row, I add a rotation with my hands and shoulders love rotation. The more you can rotate your shoulders, the better they're going to be. So throwing that all together. And like, this is the other thing too, that a lot of people don't think about it. In order to stay in this position, my neck has to stabilize quite a bit. So if I am now working shoulder stability, uh, shoulder stability, neck stability, back strength and posterior endurance, it's one of those exercises that are really, really, really challenging and will continue to be challenging as you progress. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, Raf, you haven't said anything about pressing like WTF. I do pressing with clients, don't worry. But a little bit different. So my big thing is any kind of unilateral exercise, big fan of. Now, if this can load, I absolutely love doing a single arm dumbbell bench press. So the very nature of this movement, as I'm coming down, my core has to work again. And what did we discuss earlier? Every general population person needs more core. As the weight's coming down, my core has to fight that rotation and press. And my shoulder has to stabilize. My grip has to coordinate with it. And I'm getting more muscle activation, more fibers being used, more fibers being torn apart. 
And that's going to create more change faster than just doing a barbell bench press. Does barbell bench press have a benefit? Yes, it does. But when I'm dealing with general population people that have one shoulder shittier than the other and weaker than the other and are looking to burn more calories at the same time, unilateral work tends to hit all those things and you can create more um, specificity again in that situation because you grabbing something or grabbing your kid with one arm or trying to like pull your suitcase at the airport, all single arm, single leg stuff happens every single day. So why not train it that way? And say, if you decide to play hockey, decide to play golf, decide to play soccer with your kids, those are all sports that are on one leg and use one arm at a time. Like it's not rocket science. All right. So I think we are at number eight so far. So I'm going to give two more exercises that I use a lot. So because we are on the topic of pressing, I also like pressing heavy. And the landmine is one of those things uh, let's just play the tutorial. So with almost every single, um, and hopefully I have you muted, every single client that I train has some jacked up shoulders where they shouldn't be pressing overhead. And when I tell clients that, they get kind of worried, like, oh, like I really like pressing. Like, am I going to get weak if I do it? No, but there's other ways to um, utilize those same muscles, but not limit yourself to, um, you know, doing anything overhead. So with the landmine, the nature of the angle, which is around a 45 degree angle, allows you to still press similarly to an overhead press without the wear and tear of your um shoulder joint because a lot of times if I can't do this without any kind of compensations compensations then I'm going to have a huge risk for injury so if you look at the landmine how I press so let's take a second here as I explained to create irradiation when I get to the top this is the this is the, this is the goal this is like this is it when I press in that 45 degree angle when I get to the top, this barbell is now unstable. So guess what has to stabilize? The shoulder and the shoulder blade to ensure that this does not fall over from left to right. So even though I can load this as a strength exercise to really develop some great physiological changes, I'm also utilizing this as a rehab exercise, right? So again, it's one of those things where I am putting two and two together that um, most people don't think about when it comes to training is like, how can I train around an injury? This is one of those exercises. So I'm a huge component of the landmine for pressing and all other variations. Now, realizing the time, I'm going to give you one more exercise. 
hopefully have so this is going to be like a bonus because there are several exercises in this is the daily cars routine i get every single person to do controlled articular rotations which is basically a fancy way of saying you're going to move your joints through the entire range of motion is designed our joints are designed to move when we don't move them bad things tend to happen so it's in our best interest to move the joint so we can give it nutrients through the synovial fluid to have oh my arm has no tattoo on there look at that anyway um in order for our you know um joints to improve we need to move them so i always give the examples like our shoulder if i'm only using my shoulders for texting on my phone going on my laptop and grabbing a cup out of the cupboard then maybe my synovial fluid is only kind of going into the front of the shoulder capsule but then what about all of this stuff back here because our shoulder can do all these other things back here and we never train that the only time we kind of train our shoulder back here is when we literally drop our phone between our car seat and we like reach down to kind of like grab it and then like we like really jar it down and then we like pull our whole neck and then we we're like this for the rest of the day and then we're kind of fucked we need to train all of the different ranges of our joints in order to keep them healthy and that becomes our foundation to do all the stuff that we want to do in the gym so cars neck shoulders scapulas wrists elbows t-spine hips knees ankles and toes all those things need to move every single day if we don't have that we don't have anything all right and i don't know why this is super laggy but i'm going to stop that stop this and end it here because i've been talking for a long time <laughs> but those are essentially the 10 exercises that i do with every single person i think i will do a part two to this where we can kind of break those down and show different variations um maybe i even go with the cars routine of like different variations of what you can do based on x y and z but that's it for me you guys because that was a lot of information if you have any questions about this episode feel free to reach out Remember, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram, subscribe to this YouTube channel, and share this podcast with your friends and family. That's it for me, you guys. Until next time. What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I'm excited to get into today's show because last time, or maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we chatted about the top... 10 if you want to say or the 10 exercises i tend to use um a lot with clients and kind of want to go over some of them specifically so if you haven't watched or listened to that first episode i think it's episode 517 so maybe go uh, watch that first before you watch this one or listen to this one because then it'll kind of give you more backstory but uh to kind of do a little overview i shared my top 10 exercises i do with every single client and i explain why they're so important 
And this episode is going to be kind of a part two and we'll see how far I can get into it. And we're going to go into the specific exercises and their variations. Because a lot of times when, you know, I program for somebody, if I create a training program for a specific individual, they may have, you know, certain things that, you know, say based off their hip anatomy, it, they can't move their leg this certain way. So maybe this exercise in this particular variation might not be the best thing for them. So a lot of times we have to, you know, adjust on the fly or someone's low back flared up and the core exercises I chose for their program might not be the best thing. And then I have to quickly think like, okay, what else can I, you know, put in this person's program? So we're going to go look in depth to variations and some other things that can help many of you and your clients. If you are a trainer listening to this, um, break through any kind of, you know, issue when it comes to flare-ups or um, anatomy issues and things like that. And I think this is going to be good. So what we're going to do first is screen share. Here we go. All right. Close that up. All right. I'm going to make myself a little bit bigger. So if I can remember correctly, what we went over last time is my number one thing. Well, not number one. This is not in any kind of particular order, but um, the first exercise that I recommended on my list was the dead bug. But again, there's so many dead bug variations out there. And if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, highly recommend you do that right now or after this episode. So depending on the person, where they're at with everything, um, it will determine what kind of dead bug. So the one that we showed in the first episode was a yoga block squeeze where you have the yoga block in between one forearm and the opposite leg. So then they can crush the block and have some sort of element of, you know, irradiation and they can feel what they're supposed to feel. Cause a lot of times when people do dead bugs, they kind of just flop through the motion and they don't really get anything out of it. So there are a couple variations that I really, really, really like. And one of them, if I can find it, is a band resistant dead bug. Here we go. All right, so first off, I'm gonna move myself here. So you can see that I just placed a simple like super band, a red band uh, around the peg of the squat rack and taking that tension into this position here is creating tension in the torso, in all that core musculature as I do the dead bug. This is another amazing exercise for someone who needs to feel what they're supposed to feel. And I like finding exercises that the moment I give a particular exercise, like this one in this case, 
where the client feels it right away. They're like, holy shit, that's really hard. Then I know that they're activating things right. And there's almost a zero chance of them, you know, feeling their low back or anything like that. So really simple. There's no arm movement. It's just the legs going back and forth. Really simple. And most people have band. So even if they're working out from home, if you're working out from home, highly recommend that you do this variation to challenge your core. So if we were kind of creating a line of progression, um, I would emphasize focusing on the regular dead bug with the yoga block, then going to this band resisted version. And then if I wanted to get a little bit more fancy, um, another exercise I really like is the dead bug pullover with a kettlebell. Now, in this variation, we have a kettlebell up here. Every time I extend the leg, my arms also go overhead. Now, at this point, all of this core musculature has to fight off two lever lengths. And on top of that, a lever with an offset weight. I mean, you could do this with a dumbbell, 100% you could, but with the kettlebell and you know i did a whole episode on the benefits of you know kettlebells and things like that um the benefit the added bonus i, I should say with the kettlebells because it's the offset load and it's not evenly distributed like a dumbbell it almost becomes an extension of your body so now the lever length is even longer and now you have to work that much harder so i find always that the kettlebell pullover really supercharges this exercise. And, you know, I like to have the bell portion at the bottom and not the other end, because again, it will make it a little bit easier because now the weight is pulling me further this way. And I also find that it feels a little bit better on the elbows when you reach back. But one of my go-tos for a lot of clients that are beginning to progress and again, it's another one that you feel right away. And there you go, look at that, right here. If you're watching this video, then you should definitely watch the 10 exercises everyone should be doing. So it's episode 519, not 517. I don't know why I said that. And it's a long one. Like I was kind of surprised how long it took me to record all that. It was 42 minutes. So again, today, hopefully it's not gonna be you know, 42 minutes. I'm gonna try to keep it to 25, 30 at, at most, but it's definitely worth it. Okay, so after this, what we're going to do is another progression. And this one for sure. And also if you need help with any of these, like if you look at my tutorials um, on my website, there are so many, not website, uh, YouTube channel, there's so many. I even have a playlist. So if you like go to playlists on my channel, they're all there. And sometimes you can like, sometimes even for me when I'm on like the go and I'm on my phone and I see someone like messaged me on Instagram and they're like, Hey, you mentioned this exercise. How do you do it? Like I'll literally go into YouTube um, app and just search like kettlebell pullover tutorial, like this one right here. Um, and then put my name and it pops up right away. So if you ever need like any specific like, how do I do this exercise properly? Just search it up and it'll pop up. Um, other variation that I really like using to challenge 
um, my clients. Oh, I guess it was spelled with. See, this is the thing. Sometimes I spell the dead bug with no space. Oh, where did it go? I swear I had it. Sorry, guys. There you go. So this one in particular is definitely challenging. It's just the very nature. So in this variation, I have a pullover with the cable machine with the rope attachment. So I first extend the leg, just like so. And then I go into a pullover. You can turn this into just like the kettlebell pullover to make it even more challenging. But here you can definitely load quite a bit. And I also like using these handles, well, like the rope attachment, because it kind of gives a variable resistance where your shoulders even have to stabilize. And this just ends up creating a really, really challenging exercise. Like I remember like when I'll go through even my own programming and I'll throw this in the next like two days, I'm sore, which is ridiculous, but uh, definitely worth um, going down the rabbit hole of setting yourself up on this. It's kind of awkward to get in because in order for you to do a full pullover, um, you have to be kind of far away from the cable machine. And, you know, you basically have to like lay down and then shimmy yourself down with the with the rope attachment and then you can do the pull very easily, but definitely, definitely really challenging. Um, and again, see who would have thought that uh, dead bugs would be on the list of hard exercises for your core. Um, this is another variation. I don't use it that often, but it's one that I really like because it also works on a little bit of rotary stability, kind of like the bird dog. So one, it's kind of, challenging to get into this position with um two kettlebells and look how white my legs are in this <laughs> anyway um so you kind of have to like roll over to grab one and then have it close to your uh, your chest and then grab and roll to the other one but anyway essentially every time you extend one arm goes down and this becomes a really like full body core exercise that challenges a lot but it's definitely worth putting into programming when, you know, people start to find certain um, dead bugs too easy. And uh, just another variation. Another one that I find also challenging, and hopefully I can find it quickly. Here we go, is the single arm version. So in this particular one, and I don't know why it's showing it like this, but um, I just have the opposite hand and leg going. And I find that with the single arm version, as this is going down, it's trying to roll me over. So I have to really contract my core to make sure I don't roll over. And highly recommend doing these different variations for the dead bug in general. Now, I think I shared just like six different variations of the dead bug. And again, there's so many other ones out there, but these are the typical ones that I go through. But if I just wrote out my like core section template that I have 
there's so many different core exercises other than the dead bug that I use that like the list is endless, you know, and then as clients progress, um, there's so many more variations and opportunities to, you know, put into someone's program. So you can only go through so much. So I kind of always keep my, you know, I call them like my simple six exercise variations for like a certain one. So in the 10 that I use, there's probably six variations of each. So each person that I train will end up going through like 60 different exercises. So it's kind of like a, a misdirection of programming. When I say these are my 10 exercises that I use in reality, it's really, you know, 60 that I use. 10 are kind of like, here's 10 doors. And each time we open it, it's another set of doors that we're going to go through. Yeah, like as you go through each door, there's so many other doors that we're going to go through um, with different variations of exercises. So, um, so don't think I only use like 10 exercises for people, but um, we're going to move on because, you know, we can talk about dead bugs forever and we're going to move on to the bird dog. So last time I showed um, the isometric bird dog where we hold it. And one of the bird dogs that I've also used in the past is I kind of called this a bird dog with tension. And I find that when people do this, they feel it a lot. So what I do here, one, I have a fist that I'm constantly squeezing to create tension. As I kick back, I'm also driving my elbow up towards the ceiling to engage all of this stuff. And then I, then I kind of punch forward and then again, hold. And I'm constantly driving this heel as hard as possible into uh, the back as much as possible. So you can create that tension again, rather than just flapping back and forth arm and leg. Um, I find that this variation tends to work quite well. And again, on face value, it doesn't look that challenging, but in practice, it's definitely going um, to challenge the entire body as one unit. Now, you know, this is a little bit better angle where I'm pushing, extending, coming back and back down. And the more I squeeze my fist and the more I kick my heel up, the better it's going to be, right? There we go. So we're going to move on to another bird dog variation I like. Now, the stationary row is another favorite of mine that I use quite a bit with clients. So in this, I'm kind of straddling the um, bench. And again, it looks quite advanced, but when you get into the position and you kind of find you know, your sweet spot of where this hand is, where this knee is, and where this toe is, you kind of stabilize yourself quite well. And then just keeping this leg out extended back kind of prevents you from kind of wobbling too much. And then the only thing that's moving is the arm rowing the kettlebell or dumbbell. And I like this because it's one of those exercises that if I go too fast, then that's where I'm going to feel like I'm going to fall over. And you can all already see, like I'm kind of going a little bit too fast in this video, but when I pull, you can actually see 
this toe back here um, move, trying to counterbalance it, right? So you can even see it. Again, great variation. Um, another one that I use so much with clients is a bird dog cable row. So again, in this video, it's not a cable, it's just a band that I use. But again, another variation that you can use at home so easily if you have a little pillar somewhere. And every time I pull, I kick. So kind of similar to the other one where, but this is more of like a horizontal over kind of almost a vertical pull. If you think about it, you're just on your hands and knees as the other one is a um, horizontal row. So just a little bit different, but still serves the same purpose. And again, use this a lot with clients. Now, another variation of the bird dog row that I like using, uh, where is it? Where I had it. Here you go. The bird dog row. This is similar to the one with the bench. So in this one, you can see that every time I row, I also kick out with my leg, right? I would say it's a little bit more advanced than, you know, the other one I had with the leg just stationary, but it's definitely a challenging bird dog variation. And again, bird dogs are great for low back stability, core stability, and just that cross diagonal pattern that a lot of us are not good at. Um, so that's kind of all the bird dogs I tend to use. Um, what we're gonna look at next is deadlift. So I believe in the video, we kind of covered the dead bug first, and then the bird dog, dead bug, bird dog, yep. And then we did carries. And again, I'm not gonna go through carries in this video because I already did a whole episode on carries itself and the benefits, the variation. So you can also go check that out. Um, but we're gonna go into deadlift. So in um, the deadlift portion, I always start with a hip hinge. So a lot of times, when I try to teach someone how to deadlift, I'm not giving them weight right away. Most people have no idea how to hinge at their hips. They just kind of flex with their spine or they turn the thing into a squat. So learning how to hinge first is kind of the go-to for a lot of my um, clients. There we go. So I tend to do a dowel deadlift with a lot of my clients. So in this case, I have a band to kind of, again, get myself and my clients feeling it. So I've attached a band to this little pole and it's right against this dowel. So I get into the deadlift position and then come back up and I'm forced to constantly engage my lats, my shoulders by pulling it in. And that kind of gives that feedback to a client that, you know, in order to deadlift, I need to stay tight because the biggest mistake I see a lot is when people go to deadlift or pick something up heavy, they're kind of like loosey goosey and, you know, they're not activating the things they want. And then they're like, Oh, I don't know why my low back hurts every time, every time I deadlift. So with this, I have a really high payoff because it's creating that tension internally. And then their body has to react 
by resisting it. So if they didn't have any tension, this dowel will just kind of move forward over here and it's going to be all, it won't feel like a deadlift. And because I have this dowel, I always kind of cue that if you slide it down the legs and push your bum back, or like, you know, think of pushing your bum back towards a chair that's too far away or touching a wall or anything like that, they kind of clue in really quick. And honestly, I've had people who have never worked out in their life and I give them this variation, they pick up the hinge pattern so much faster than just like trying to teach them the hinge without any other, you know, apparatus or any other uh, feedback tool. Um, and I've kind of been using this a lot with people to get them learning how to use their hips and not their low back when it comes to deadlifting. Now, from there, what I like to do is then load it with a kettlebell or a dumbbell. Um, and I usually will do a dumbbell sumo uh, deadlift. And there's a couple reasons why. So one of the biggest reasons why I go into this kind of sumo position is one, a lot of people don't have the hip mobility to do a conventional deadlift that requires a lot of adequate hip flexion. And most people don't have enough to keep that lumbar spine neutral and flat. So if you think of anatomy, if they're um, hips get stuck at a certain position in hip flexion, lumbar spine will go into flexion to give you more hip mobility. Um, and then that just wreaks havoc over time. I also like using a dumbbell in this case, because one, it's a little bit easier in a sense that it's already kind of elevated, because that's another key thing that a lot of people do is they deadlift off the floor when they might not have the mobility and stability requirements to do so. So by putting this dumbbell upright, it's a little bit higher um, than your traditional, say, barbell down that's um, on the ground if you're deadlifting. Um, and then with the sumo, you're able to reach down a little bit lower. So you already have a biomechanical advantage. And then it becomes a really easy thing for um, clients and just people in general to deadlift and pick it up. And again, like most gyms, their dumbbells go up to like a hundred pounds. So if you're starting out, like that's pretty good. And even if you are intermediate to advanced, grab a hundred pound dumbbell and do 15, 15 to 20 sumo squats, like not squats, um, deadlifts. Like you're going to feel that. Like I would feel that because again, like when was the last time I have ever done that? And that would be a huge stimulus for my body to adapt and grow from, right? So something like this is bulletproof when it comes to teaching and loading people for the first time. Like I absolutely love this um, exercise and this position for most people. Um, so usually when I go from there, um, I really like getting to the trap bar deadlift. So the trap bar itself, a lot of people will make the joke that it's cheating. Um, I don't think so. Honestly, I think just loading a trap bar. And again, in this case, I'm also doing isometric hold at the top, but um, I'm going to try to pause it at the bottom. Here we go. So at the bottom, like you can already see that. How can I explain this? The trap bar is literally the easiest way of teaching someone how to deadlift because they don't have to worry about 
where their knees have to go. And again, the trap bar will allow you more knee flexion. The key here is to ensure that you're not, you know, changing this into a squat, but you are still thinking of pushing your hips back. Having a little bit more knee flexion, I'm not worried about it, but at the end of the workout, you feel your quads from the trap bar, then it's probably not the best thing. But um, just a little bit of knee flexion, that's, that's fine. But every single person that I get to this point where, you know, they learn how to hinge, we loaded it in a sumo uh, deadlift with either a dumbbell or a kettlebell. And when I get them to the trap bar and I tell them, get into the middle of the trap bar, reach down for the bar, squeeze tight and drive up. It like something in their brain just clicks and they know exactly what to do. And they know how to brace already because we've kind of gone through all those dead, dead bug variations, those bird dog variations. They understand how to stabilize in a dynamic movement pattern where it requires rotary stability. At this point, they're ready to go. So with the trap bar, it just comes naturally. And then this is where we get to explore, like, let's get into heavy loads. Let's see what our body can do when we place it under load. And it's very, very simple to do this. Like such a great exercise to develop full body strength. Now, from here, we'll go into things like, you know, the barbell deadlift, the sumo barbell deadlift, elevated deadlifts. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop at deadlifting because I still want to kind of continue and maybe do part two, uh, part three, part four of this. But something I will say about deadlifts is that everyone has this weird idea that they have to deadlift off the floor to make it count or, you know, be cool. I, don't, I, I just don't understand that. Like if I asked you or asked any trainer, like, why are you getting your client to deadlift off the floor? Or why are you deadlifting off the floor? And this would be a person who either is hitting a plateau or gets sore from their uh, deadlifts from their low back, or, you know, it just doesn't ever feel right, but they're still like hammering that square peg in a round hole. I'll ask, those two scenarios, client or, you know, trainer with a client or person at the gym trying to deadlift, why are you doing that exercise? Most of the time they'll say, I don't know. Or they're saying, well, I'm trying to get stronger hamstrings and glutes. Great. My next question goes, are you going to be competing in powerlifting? They usually say no. And I'm like, you don't have to deadlift off the floor. If we elevate your deadlift, by four inches, six inches, eight inches, I don't care what it is, you're still going to get the benefit of the deadlift. It doesn't make it any less. It makes it easier because you don't have to travel as far, but usually when you elevate the deadlift, your mobility restrictions, stability restrictions, previous low back injuries, hip injuries, whatever it may be, that kind of just simmers away. And then you can actually get good at that lift. So if the goal is to make your glutes and hamstrings stronger, then why not elevate it? I always make the argument that your nervous system, that is the protector of your entire body, probably doesn't know the difference between going four inches lower or higher. It understands, it understands force and load. So if we're going by that concept, then my body will adapt and get stronger, build muscle, whatever it is, to force and load. So it doesn't really matter where that force and load is coming from at what depths. Usually when I do this with people that have been lifting for years that have been hurting themselves, 
they huge they see huge spikes of um, strength. They get leaner, body starts feeling better, and then other lifts improve as well just by elevating it because now they're working within their capacity and they can improve on that capacity. So I think I'm going to leave it there because that was a lot. And there's so much more that we can get into. But um, thank you for listening and watching. Hit the subscribe button on my YouTube channel. Um, Add me on Facebook. Add me on Instagram. Watch out for part three to this so I can continue going through all this. I know this is a lot of information, but lots of different dead bug variations, lots of different bird dog variations, a lot of different deadlift variations. We'll probably do a little bit more in the next episode on deadlifting itself. And we're also going to, uh, I'm also going to recommend that you should watch the farmer carry one. So that's a very specific one where I go into the benefits and all the different variations. So that's it for me, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Let's stop the screen share and until next time. What's up everyone. This is your host for Machevsky, and we are going to get right into it. Um, we're going to get back into the top 10 exercises everyone should be doing. And this is going to be part three because I didn't realize that one, I could talk this much about exercise, which just goes to show how vital it is for anyone and any trainer out there to have not only their, you know, 10 to 15 exercises they do with everybody, but variations that fall in line with anatom- anatomical, <laughs> anatomical um, variations from person to person. Uh, if people have poor motor patterns, if they have dysfunctional movement due to pain or anything like that, um, this is a term coined from Dr. Charlie Weingroff of uh, something called lateralizations. So you have progressions and regressions, but there's also something along the line of a lateral basis of exercises. So, you know, I can make the, I don't know, argument that a dumbbell alternating reverse lunge could be as challenging as, say, an offset line mat. Why can I speak today? Landmine reverse lunge. And that's what I consider lateralization. Similar movement, different instrument to um, provide the same stimulus. And it might just feel better on the person. Who fucking knows, right? But it's all dependent on the person that you have in front of you. And that's why it's very important to have your main 10 to 15 exercises and then have those options. So last time we left off at deadlifts. Right. So if you watch part two and one, you'll kind of get the idea of where I'm going with this. If you're new to this episode, um, I'll probably link the first and second episode in the show notes. So definitely watch those or just fucking jump right into this one and then watch those after. Who cares? You know, like make your own journey of education and learning. So here we go. Um, We're going to get into split squats. So Before I even do a screen share, let me just chat about why split squats should be in every single person's program and workout. Number one, we are unilateral creatures. We walk with one foot at a time. We don't use two at the same time because we become like kangaroos, but 
even a kangaroo, I believe, will take one step at a time. They're not always hopping. Anyway, I don't know why I went that way. Um, so it makes sense to me that if any form of transportation for us to walk requires one leg, it would make sense to me that I would want to train this system of a body to be very efficient on one leg and have the unilateral strength and stability to also put load on it because say you go hiking and that requires endurance. Say you go hiking with a backpack that's 40 pounds because you're going to do a three-day hike. That requires some level of endurance and strength. What if you have a baby strapped into your front and back for three hours because, I don't know, you're going shopping. I don't make any scenarios up, but it just goes to show that you kind of need to work it on work on single leg strength. And eventually we're going to go talk about single arm strength. But um, in this case scenario, it just makes sense to me. And then from a performance standpoint, if you think of every single sport done on this planet, it's done on one leg at a high um, output of power, velocity, whatever you want to call it. So it's in your best interest as a trainer and a client or a fitness goer to train single leg. And again, I'm not bashing deadlift squats and leg presses and things like that. It's just, it would require more energy and more things in your body to produce a single leg movement than a two-legged movement. So then if the goal for most people is to burn calories, lose weight, gain muscle, then that's kind of the direction you want to go to. And at the same time, focusing on the functionality of what our bodies are designed to do. So it's kind of like a win-win. And I don't understand why people will argue about this. And it's usually people that are straight up power lifters, strength coaches from division one schools that live and breathe the barbell. And it's like, there's other things that you can do other than the barbell. And it's funny enough that I actually was just interviewed on a podcast and we like talked about that for like 20 minutes, but that's a whole nother story. So let's get into this whole um, split squat and all its variations. So as usual, I'm like, how the hell do I share my screen? (laughs) All right, here we go. Number one, I need to get myself a little bit bigger so you can see me. Come on, Zoom, do your thing. So we know that in my last episode, we kind of went through um, just a standard goblet split squat. But there's so many variations of the split squat that I like going through. And one of those things is a double front rack split squat. So usually what I like to do, and I'm going to mute this and make this full screen, is when someone kind of gets strong enough with a you know dumbbell goblet split squat, I like to go into a double front rack position with two dumbbells into a split squat position. And the reason why I like this, so if you look at the nature of where these dumbbells are located, they're not just like resting onto my torso. I'm actually pushing them out a little bit. So now my anterior core has to work a lot harder. So very similar to, you know, the standard goblet 
uh, split squat. Um, same idea, same concept, challenging the anterior core, but it's very close to me. Right? The moment I start moving that object further and further and further and further away, it becomes very difficult. So in this case, I'm not pushing it all as far as I can. I'm going to you know, try to keep it relatively close, but a little bit further off. And like, you know, if you want, like in this video, I'm not doing it, but you can also squeeze them together to create more tension, to activate more things, get a little pec activation, whatever, do like whatever you feel like, you know? So one, you, this becomes more of a core exercise than an actual leg exercise. And we're going to talk about loading strategies in a second here, but you know, primarily I work with a lot of general population people and they always, the one thing that almost every gen pop person talks about is like, oh, I want to get a strong core. I want to feel my abs. I want to, you know, have that feeling that I'm working my core. And it's like, we're not going to dedicate a whole hour of just doing like core exercises. We're going to do other things. So sometimes you have to kind of trick the person sounds terrible, but trick the client and thinking that, yeah, well, this is going to fire up your core indirectly. But this is one of those things where they feel it and they're like, holy shit, that was like the hardest thing I've ever done. But now you have limitations on how heavy you can go. Because, you know, for most people, if I gave them two 25 pound dumbbells in a front rack split squat position, that is going to definitely fuck their shit up pretty quickly. Like, you have to be relatively strong to hold that. And usually when I get people to start this off, it's like anywhere from tens to fifteens, right? Cause a standard goblet, you can go a lot heavier than having two individual weights here. Right. And it all kind of really depends on your programming where you want to go. It's like, do I want to focus more of a core emphasis um, program or do I want to go strictly load the legs as heavy as possible. So it really depends on what your goals are here. And this is where having these like 10 to 15 staple exercises that you do and having variations of them to tweak the program. And that's where a lot of people kind of overthink programming is that they need like thousands of different exercises to do. But over time, you'll soon realize it's the same shit over and over again, just with a different emphasis. Right. So now let's say we're looking at the idea that we want to, you know, load the legs. So if I'm going to go with that approach, then let's just do a standard split squat with the dumbbells by our side. Again, this is not rocket science is just another variation in the split squat position. Right. So in this case, we can um, load this a lot more and the only real limiting factor is your grip. So if I watched my, this was probably, I don't know, month, two months ago where I did a whole episode on the benefits of farmer carries, then you'll understand that if I am programming properly and I have carry variations in the very beginning, and this is what I do with every single person is I have some sort of farmer carry to ensure that their grip is up to par when we get to heavier loading strategies. And if you test the grip of any general pop, it's quite poor, it is very poor. And a good example of this is even for yourself listening, if you're just an avid fitness goer or a coach, you'll know that primarily when you have 
say a female client doing lunges, split squats, whatever it is, say with like 20 pounds and they're like ready to go to the next one and they go to 25s, you can see that their grip is already like toast there. It's like they can't hold on to the dumbbell and like, it's usually the pinky and the ring finger that kind of lose grip. And it's like, they're holding on for dear life in this like weird position. And for dudes is like, you know, transitioning from like 25s to 30s or 30s to 35s, the same thing happens. So over the years of me training in the trenches, as they call, um, which by the way, I need to like talk about one of my biggest pet peeves is like these young online coaches that are training people online that may have trained people in person for a year without a full client load. And because online training is this hot trend now, and like I've been online training way before it got popular because of COVID, they don't have the experience that most coaches do like myself, where they spent years, if not decades training everyday people in front of them and been exposed to so many different things like injuries, anatomical differences. Um, this exercise hurts my elbow and figuring out ways around that. When you train people online, you're not going to have that exposure because unless you are literally doing a video zoom call like this, watching the person train and then having that experience, which most online coaches don't do, they write out a program for you to follow and they check in with you every so often. They're not going to have the tools to ensure your safety and progression. That's why a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't really want to do online training. And I pride myself on having now 12 years of experience in person and continually to have experience in person because I'm never going to stop in-person training because it's too valuable for my future and the future clients that I have because the more I am exposed, the better I can be for my next client, right? So if you're ever considering an online coach, one, you should ask me, but that's a selfish plug. But if there's somebody that you really want to train you, the number one question should be, how many years have you trained in person? And you'll quickly realize that it's not a lot or they stopped and it's been like six years that before they've ever trained someone in person. And, you know, it's funny enough that when I first started my career, I was looking up to coaches that were training full time in person and go onto the online route. And a few of them that I know personally ended up coming back in person because they felt that they kind of lost touch of what true coaching is. And they needed that exposure again to, apply to their online clients. Whole nother thing. Anyway, split squats. Grip strength with programming comes in handy. Really, really, really comes in handy because now if we know that we're focusing on grip strength in the beginning, when we get to a point where we want to load things that require grip to train something else, like in this case, the legs, then you don't have to worry about regressing, figuring out how to load it heavier, put a weight vest on, like all that kind of shit. So if you train properly with grip strength in the beginning, when we get to split squats and we want to go heavy, we're good to go. All right. I need to move on because I can like, I feel very tangenty, if that's even a word, tangent, tangenty. Anyway. Um, the other variation I like to use is just a simple offset front rack position. And again, this 
is limited by how much you can load it. But if you want to challenge someone's stability and core stability, this is the kind of way to go. And again, you're kind of, again, like I said, limited with how much you can load it, but a great variation that I use quite often. Um, let's get the, to the next one here. See, I really like this variation of the offset split squat. So another position where you can load it quite heavy and also fight anti-lateral flexion. So I'm a huge advocate of finding exercises that um, do more than just one thing. So in the beginning, yes, I want to stick to the fundamentals. I want to ensure that I'm not you know, missing anything before I progress people. And when I get to that point, it's like, okay, how can I challenge a system that's designed to be on one leg, one arm at a time? Because when we walk, it's opposite arm, opposite leg, not the same. Things like an offset load is huge. So in this position, not only am I fighting, um, you know, building up my leg strength, but also having the weight on the offset or contralateral load to the leg that's working, I'm also fighting lateral flexion, which is this guy, right? Because our spine can go into lateral flexion and we should be able to stabilize it enough that if I'm holding a heavy load, I'm not going there. Now we go back to grip strength again. If you followed that whole podcast episode I did about um, farmer carries and variations, you'll know that I have a single arm farmer carry in there, which again, focuses on grip strength, but also that lateral flexion, anti-lateral flexion piece that most people don't train. So you can see how my brain works is that every time I have a main exercise that I want people to do, like my top 10 that we're talking about today, there's always variations or progressions of it that will filter into all the other progressions and variations of other movements, which is huge, right? So I'm indirectly influencing other exercises that I want to progress, which is like key to programming and breaking through plateaus, right? Programming is an art and people who just decide to go online and download a program and in hopes that it's going to fix all their problems are like on a different level of, stupidity. Sorry, but it's, it's true. Like it's almost equivalent to like you going on WebMD trying to figure out why something hurts or what's this bump on my knee. And you're like, fuck, I have cancer. It it very well could be, but most likely it's not because you're self-diagnosing. It's the same here. You're trying to self-diagnose what you need for exercise, which is like, come on. Anyway, other split squat variations. Because there's, there's so many that you can do. Uh, da, 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 da. So as you can see, I have a lot of videos. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to my YouTube channel because we're almost at 400. The more um, people that subscribe to my channel, the more I can reach. And we can grow this thing together. Next thing, this is probably going to be the last one that I show, lateral split squats. So different exercise, but still a split squat. So if you look at 
this nature of the split squat, we're going into a different plane of motion. So all um, split squats, lunges are all in the sagittal plane, which is going straight. Here, we're now in the frontal plane. Think of like a mirror going across this way. And a lot of people kind of overlook the frontal plane and they only train in the sagittal, right? It's a lot of like, I'm going to squat, I'm going to hip thrust, I'm going to deadlift, I'm going to lunge. That's all sagittal. Frontal is side to side. So a lateral split squat fits in there perfectly. And where do most people's weaknesses come from is from the frontal plane because they don't work those lateral stabilizers in their hip. So if we go along the whole idea of, you know, we're working in the split squat like category of all the 10 exercises that I do. Now we kind of understand like all these different load loading strategies, right? So we have, you know, the dumbbells by our side where we can load heavy. We have the goblet position that works more anterior core. We have our double rack position, which by the way, I did not talk about is the reason why I do this position compared to here. I used to do this all the time and people started resting the dumbbells on their shoulders. Not a big fan. So I turned this way. So now we're also working some like supination and also getting indirect bicep work. And this is another thing too, is that when I train dudes, they're always asking for bicep curls. Fuck, I do bicep curls too when I'm bored, but whatever. I just don't have time to dedicate reps and sets to bicep curls for clients when there's other things that are more important. So this is one way I kind of hide indirect bicep work. And then dudes are like, oh my God, my biceps were so fucking sore after our last leg workout. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Anyway, um, this is why I like going this way. Anyway, so you can hold this way, offset. And you can also go into an offset with a straight arm just like this to load it even further. So now we have all these different arm positions. And again, there's another one that we haven't even talked about is like having one up here and also one at the bottom too. And you know, which leg goes back doesn't matter. You can do both. Right. So now we have like all these different loading positions for our split squat and lateral split squat. And now it's like the world is your oyster, like whatever you want to do. And I will say that when I start people off, it's always goblet. I like, I want them to get comfortable um, loading their anterior core first before we get into all these fancy hand positions, because sometimes that just screws people up. So I always kind of start with the goblets um, position first, and then we kind of work into all those different hand positions. Now, in this section of split squats, I would also throw in lunges. Again, you can go reverse lunge. You can go alternating reverse lunge. You can go forward lunges. You can go alternating forward lunges. You can go lateral lunge. You can go alternating lateral lunge. You can go into walking lunges. Now you can now take all those lunges that I just said and go here. You can go here. You can go just one. You can go one and at the bottom so many different loading strategies. Again, like now you can see that this one exercise of the split squat has branched out into this huge tree with all these different branches to choose from. Now, say you've been training a client forever, and this is something that's popped up in my mentorship uh, right now is that, you know, I always teach my new coaches that 
you need to ask the question, why, why am I doing this exercise? Why did I categorize this? How do, why did I put these two exercises together in the very beginning when you're training somebody, it's very obvious why you choose certain things because it's like, well, in their assessment, it is and this and this and this. But the funny thing is that I have had clients, um, as long as 10 years and the shortest amount of time right now it's probably been a year. So you have say that 10 year client, fuck the amount of exercises they have done with me. Like I can't even count and imagine. So at a certain point, it's like, why are you doing this exercise with them? If they are pain-free, no injuries and are living their best life and see progression all the time. It's kind of hard to be like, well, I'm doing this specific lateral split squat in this loading pattern to improve X, Y, and Z. Sure. I could like come up with something, pull shit out of the air and make a thing. But honestly, I'm like, it's because I needed a leg exercise in their program and we've done everything in the very beginning. It's like their knee hurts and a split squat feels better than a reverse lunge. So we're doing split squats only to make sure it stays pain-free. Right. So you can kind of see the difference now on that whole note of like, you've been training forever. You're one of those people that get bored really easy with programs. For me, I can do the same shit over and over again. And like maybe after six months, change it, but there's going to be other ways to, you know, I call it messing people up. <laughs> and one of those things, uh, I think it's, Nope. See, I can't even spell. I believe it's this one. So I have a lunge step through, but on the same leg. So carefully watch my feet. I go in a reverse lunge with my left leg going back. And when I come forward, it's my right leg going forward. So a typical lunge step through is like you lunge forward with your right and then you lunge back with your right. In this case, I'm lunging with the same leg over and over again. And one, this really challenges your brain. It challenges that one leg a little bit more than the other one. And then it's like, okay, let's go to see this next exercise and throw in a kettlebell halo. Like, why not reverse lunge at the top halo? So now we have like these kind of advanced, not so advanced exercises just to kind of give you variation on, you know, what we're doing. Um, this becomes a way to keep things interesting, right? So now we have all these different variations of lunges and split squats to choose from and you know, now you have so many things to put into your programming for like the next couple of years. So I think a lot of people need to better understand variations, loading strategies, and kind of creativity, right? And so, like I said before, programming becomes an art. And, you know, once you learn the rules, you then can take things to the next level. You know, it's kind of like you take an art class and they kind of teach you, okay, this is how you sketch 
a circle to eventually look like a human head. Once you do that over and over and over and over again, it becomes very easy. And then you're like, well, I'm getting kind of bored and I know how to do this so easily to create a head. I want to draw a background. I want to draw, you know, a sunset behind. I want to draw a palm tree. I want to draw a cat. I want to draw a dog beside this person that I've been drawing forever. That's how I kind of look at programming is when you get started, you want to learn basics so well that it becomes so boring for you that your whole body and self are like, I need to do something else. And that's where the beauty of programming comes in. And then you let all those creative kind of juices flow. And then you build these amazing, beautiful programs for clients. And, you know, I'm going to stop the screen share there because I just realized like, talking for quite a while on just the split squat itself. And I'm going to have to do another, like this is going to be like a multi-series thing because I feel that because I've been doing this for 12 years, I have a lot to say because I've learned from all my mistakes. And this is like the, one of the very reasons why I want to mentor other coaches because I don't want them to make the same mistakes as me because the biggest thing that I want to come across in my podcast, and this is another reason why I've been doing it for so long, is that I want to leave a legacy behind with my name that I try to improve the, you know, fitness industry. And if that's just like, it's literally scratching the surface of like, oh, fuck that Raph guy, like he really emphasized foundations, you know, we kept it simple. And because I've been following his work, you know, I feel better, I move better, whatever. Like that's essentially what I want to do. And with mentoring other coaches, I can give them all the knowledge that I have in the past 12 years and now save them time to not go down the rabbit holes that I went through, you know? So if I could take my 12 years of experience and like compress it into four years where they could be where I am right now in four years is going to make not only their career more fulfilling, but also influence the fitness industry in a positive way. And, you know, when I first started, I I would listen to all these different coaches that are really successful that I looked up to and wanted to be like them. And I modeled myself like them. So if I can take the knowledge that I did over the past decade and pass it on to make them come to these conclusions faster, then it's just a win-win for everybody. So another tangent, I don't know why I'm like that today, but I'm going to leave it there. We're going to do another addition to this because I have a couple more things we need to talk about. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Um, subscribe to my YouTube channel, please. Let's hit that 400. My goal is to hit 500 by the end of this year. So let's make it happen. Let's reach more people. And it's been interesting now that it's been kind of getting some um, momentum. People have been commenting on my uh, video. So even if you've been listening forever, like comment on my video, because that's going to bump my stuff up in the algorithm. Um, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And that's it for me, you guys until next time. What's up my podcast listeners this is your host, Rafael Matuszewski. And we are going to continue our top 10 exercises that everybody needs to be doing. And this is part four. I did not think that this was going to be this long. And you know what? I don't 
I shouldn't be surprised because I ramble so much. And, uh, you know, without further ado, let's just get right into it. So we've already kind of covered a core section, like core exercises that we need to be doing, um, farmer carries that we need to be doing, uh, deadlift variations that we need to be doing. And I believe we left off with like lunges, split squats, and any kind of like lower body that's unilateral. And um, today what I want to start off on, and I have a feeling that it's going to be um, definitely a just one kind of section, and it's going to be pulling exercises. So the reason why I place a huge emphasis on any kind of pulling exercise for clients is that for most of us um, who are seated at a desk like I am right now, and we do that all day, every day. So if I had to audit a regular person's um, day, it usually start off, start off, starts with um, you getting up, you getting yourself in a car, driving to work anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour. Um, then you sit at a desk for about eight hours. Then you drive home again, either 10 minutes for, or to an hour, depending on your commute time. Then you come home and sit down to eat dinner. And then you finish the night off by sitting on your couch, watching something or whatever it is. So we tend to be in this forward flex position a lot. And the last thing you want to do is go to the gym and start pressing like crazy, making all of this stuff tighter and pulling you further into that position. So it makes sense to me to pull a lot more than press. And, you know, you might've heard that whole push to pull ratio should be two to one. And now, you know, things have been looking a lot worse for our general population and it's almost to a three to one. Um, honestly, the amount of people that I see that have shoulder issues, neck issues, they're, the last thing I want to do for them is give them more pressing because even when I get people pulling, they still don't know how to get out of this weird rounded position. And even if I try to cue them of like stacking and, you know, packing the shoulder, they end up still pulling themselves like this. So it's a lot of stuff that needs to be corrected. And the last thing I want to do is fuel that fire of, Again, I don't like using the word posture, but that's literally what it is, is that rounded posture. So we're going to kind of go through all the pulling exercises that I tend to give to everyone. And then maybe some few variations where um, that are a little bit more advanced. So I'm going to try to share my screen and I'm going to try to keep this episode um, 30 minutes or less. And let's see where we go. And again, I'm always going to say this. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, do so right now. Um, you know what? Every single person is going to get a TRX row. So the reason why I really like the TRX row than any other pulling exercise for a lot of people is the nature of the free handle, how you're allowed to, you know, incorporate a rotation. So if you think about it, if I am starting my TRX, row. Look at where my knuckles are right now. So we're now in shoulder internal rotation. As I row, I go into external rotation. So I'm adding a literal like axial rotation. And what do shoulders really, really like? Rotation, right? I always tell this 
to every new person that I put through an assessment, if you think about the average Joe or Jane's shoulder, what do we use it for? We go on our phones, we go on our laptop, and we maybe will grab a cup out of the cupboard that's nice and high. But our shoulder joint can do all these other things back here. And when do we ever train our shoulders behind us into abduction with extent? Like we, we don't, not at all. And if you look at the very design and nature of how our joints are, you know, put together is that they're designed for movement. If we, you know, eliminate that, bad things tend to happen. You know, that saying that people um, bring up in the fitness industry, especially in the mobility, flexibility, um, what's it called, uh, community, is, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So if we go off of that kind of thought process, then it becomes really clear that, you know, our joints will probably suffer in some way. And what I explain to clients and patients all the time is the moment you, you know, don't uh, move your joint through its entire, you know, range of motion, you don't allow synovial fluid to go into the joint itself to kind of build the integrity and health of it. So if I'm constantly using my shoulder for just this, this, and maybe a cup, then maybe the only the front side, maybe like 15% of the shoulder is actually getting um, enough nutrients to actually function, but all the rest of that shoulder capsule back here, because we never move it, never gets that, you know, um, synovial fluid to improve. So then when people try to do stuff back here, it's super tight, like the trap will start doing this and like all this weird stuff. So at the end of the day, it's like you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't utilize your shoulder or any joint really in its full range of motion. So I always kind of find exercises that will promote movement as much as possible. And again, there's like a double-edged sword, like more movements are not better, but you know, in a controlled environment, then, you know, you have a pretty good, um, I guess, recipe to success. Um, so the T-Rex row is one of those things where I kind of start with everyone. And there's a few reasons too, is like, if you look at the nature of the body position, one, I'm teaching people how to use their posterior chain. So I really, really enjoy teaching and coaching just the start position. Because if you think about it, like me, like I don't like putting my toes down. I just naturally feel like if you dig your heels in, then you have a little bit of, of a better um, understanding and feedback for an average person to like understand like how to stay upright and create tension. So if I'm getting people to dig their heels in, then that's going to send a signal all the way to my hips to be as straight as possible, you know, squeeze the glutes and have that posterior chain kind of light up. And then that allows my entire backside to also create tension and like fire up my lats. So this is a lot of stuff that's also like a precursor to the deadlift, if you really think about it. Because when we get to the top of the deadlift or even the start position, you want that whole posterior side to be kind of, you know, ready and like stiff and just with so much tension that if you had whatever load, it's going to be easy to lift up. And then the other thing too that a lot of people don't think about with a TRX row is neck position. So if you think about this, like how many people's necks are like here all day and 
the amount of tension that can go back here can lead to um, headaches, migraines, um, always having tight traps, things like that. So if I could teach someone how to like pack their neck in a nice neutral position, it's going to light up that whole backside again as a strong unit. So then when I decide to deadlift or pick something off the floor or even do a lunge or even a T-Rex row, like everything's going to be stacked in a neutral position. And the other thing too, a lot of people don't think about as a TRX um, exercise is that it's a really good neck stability and strength exercise because now that I am fighting gravity on the way down, if you look at where my head is, all these muscles back here um, of your neck, including your traps, have to learn how to stabilize this melon of yours without it doing weird things or weird things like this. And naturally, when you put someone in a 45-degree angle on a TRX row, it's not going to feel really good to like be here. Your body's naturally wanting to fight that and be there. So I can't think of a better exercise for posterior strength, especially in the pulling um, position than a TRX row. And the nice thing too is like the TRX row is going to be a staple for almost everyone. If I have a, someone brand new that's never exercised, you just move them a little bit higher and then they can still get the benefit. The fitter you get, the lower you go, and then you're going to go into um, more challenging ranges where you have to really pull yourself up. Now, there's so many different variations of the T-Rex row. And, you know, you can play around with tempo. You can play around with putting on a weight vest, putting a sandbag on your hips. You can like do a single leg inverted row you like there's so many different ways of doing it but at the end of the day the t-rex row is always going to be a um staple in my programming and a lot of people should be doing the t-rex row and yes it seems boring it doesn't seem fancy but funny enough i've been working on some social media posts this week and you know people have been getting strong decades before all the equipment that we have available today 70 years ago, when the Soviets started producing strength and, condition, strength and conditioning research on the Olympic lifts, people still do those exercises today, and they are still able to get be as strong as those guys 70 years ago. Like, it's not rocket science. Training to get stronger, leaner, faster, whatever you want to do, it's really simple, basic, non-sexy things. If you're constantly going down the rabbit hole of finding a new sexy exercise, you're not going to get to your results faster. If anything, you're going to injure yourself because it's a brand new exercise and not a lot of people have put themselves through. So think about it. Like, would you rather, I don't know, take a medication that's been around for 30 years that has so much um, research in it, so many human trials, so many people that take it on a daily basis or a brand new drug that has none of that kind of history or credibility. You know, like I rather go with something that's proven and that is been around for a little while and not just like, here's this new thing. Hopefully it works. And hopefully your body doesn't have explosive diarrhea every time you take it. Not saying that it's going to happen with exercise, but you know, something might explode like your discs or whatever. But uh, T-Rex Rose, long story short, I did not think I was going to go down that path. But um, another exercise that I get everyone doing is band pull-aparts. Uh, I always spell pull-aparts with the A 
included with the parts position. Sorry, I'm just like rambling, but again, not a super sexy exercise, but this is what most people need is scapular retraction and developing those postural muscles as much as possible. So I'm constantly looking at stuff that, you know, doesn't require a lot of equipment that people can do at home. And if they're at a gym and it's super crowded, you still have all the stuff and you don't have to use, you know, 16 different things in order to, you know, be successful, right? So band pull-aparts, there's so many different variations. Um, I'm going to show you a couple, but essentially band pull-aparts, one of the best. Another thing too is a lot of people, when I give them band pull-aparts, you know, after a couple reps, it ends up looking like this and they just don't know, understand how to like relax this. So sometimes I tell people like, think of going into a V position and the band, if you look at the image here, will end up kind of at the top of your rib cage. And that's fine too, because at the end of the day, I want those posterior muscles, you know, mid-trap rhomboids, those things to get stronger and more, um, what's it called, more efficient at moving and activating. So it doesn't really matter where the band goes as long as I feel the shit back there working. So a couple of variations that I like doing. Da, da, da. Might have to do this. Um, one is the bent over because I can't think of a better way. Hopefully this ad goes quick. So if you look at this like hip hinge pattern of me doing a band pull apart, what does that look like? Deadlift position, you trying to pick up shit. So most people break at a heavy deadlift with their shoulders and they round. Again, in deadlifting, it's not a big deal if those arms drop forward. I totally get that. But if the rest of your back rounds, then you're kind of looking at some bad shit happening. But in my head, it's like, you know, I'm standing doing this, sure, I'm getting the benefit, but what happens if I do go into a hinge position and I break apart? So why wouldn't I want to get this position as strong as possible and go from here, you know? Nice and simple. Um, another thing that I will say, because I've had this so many times, you know, like, Band pull-aparts are an awesome exercise, but what happens if I can't get someone to actually relax their neck and everything is just jacked up in their shoulders? And this is where I'll put them on a foam roller, bench, whatever it is, to actually um, relax their neck and traps. So if you think about it, if you went to chiro physio massage you're laying on a table with your neck on it as well and a lot of people don't think about this is like that is a position where there's zero muscle activation of your neck so if you're trying to get adjusted by a chiro or getting your neck treated by an rmt you don't want to be like super tense in your neck like they want it to be relaxed so they can actually do treatment so you can apply the same concept with exercise so if i have someone laying down doing an exercise, I'm getting zero um, 
muscle activation from the neck and upper traps that usually want to take over. So now if I have someone that's dealing with headaches, tightness or anything, and I want them to train, sometimes that's a limiting factor. And just doing a simple change as laying down on a foam roller or bench to do a pull apart, like it's not rocket science. Um, again, like there's a lot of variations of pull aparts out there. Like you can literally be um, tie the band up top of a cable machine or a squat rack and you can do a pull down and then um, band pull apart variation. Like I love that. The only thing is like sometimes the squat rack is super fucking high and now you got to bring on a um, bench to jump up. Cause again, like I'm five foot nine, I'm not tall. I'm not going to be able to still one arm that thing. Um, and then sometimes because it's too high, you actually pulling down will be like too much tension. And then by the time you get to pull apart, you won't actually get the benefit. So sometimes just the setup doesn't work um, in situations like that. Um, sometimes what I'll also do is like one band on the foot, I'll do a front raise and then pull apart another great variation. But sometimes it's like, people are already so jacked up here by adding a front raise that just makes things worse. So a lot of it is just like preference and um, what people have available. Um, the other thing that I always do is face pulls. So one thing that I will show is this, the half kneeling cable rope face pull. The reason why I love this variation in a half kneel position is that when you do it in a half kneel, there's no like, as it gets heavier, you like start arching through your low back. And you see this with the dudes all the time where they're standing in front of a cable machine and they're like loading the weight stack as heavy as possible. And it becomes like all momentum and then arch with the low back to get there. And to me, I'm like, well, I want the most activation through mid traps, rhomboids, and posterior um, shoulder, why would I want to add momentum and as much weight as possible that I couldn't do? So let's eliminate some of those factors and stay in a half kneel position so I can really focus on, you know, my posterior here, right? And the other thing too with this, actually I want to go back here. If you look at my elbows, they're pretty like much here. It's like almost like 90 degrees. The other thing that I've seen with people, like again, face pulls, great exercise. Sometimes it doesn't work as work out as you want it to. So there's nothing wrong with like finding a different position and angle where your shoulder joint feels better. For most people who are jacked up through here that get uh, tension headaches and traps are overactive, there's nothing wrong with pulling down here. Like if you were doing like a push-up, like a proper push-up, you're still getting that posterior chain. And all you did is just change the angle. Cause again, if I have rounded shoulders and now I'm going up here and trying to pull, like my shoulder is already in a bad position. This also doesn't feel good. But if I'm already here and I'm pulling down this way, it becomes a little bit different, right? You get a different angle of uh, pull. And sometimes that's all it takes to find that middle ground and um this is where the face pull just you know does so well right like you can even see like where my back is getting pulled and what's working and what's not um 
The other variation that I really like using with the face pull to make sure you're not cheating, I just need to find this one, the, oh, hang on. And you can see how many uh, variations there are of face pulls. Again, another reason why you should uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. So I'm gonna move my little cursor thing here. So if you can see, I actually have a band looped into the cable machine. So I'm pulling a weight stack. It's not like it's pinned and I'm just doing a basic band pull. What I'm actually doing is creating instability here that my muscles now have to react. So if I go fast, that most people do with face pulls, the band's going to bounce. So I get feedback right away if I'm going too quickly. So you're forced to go slower. This is a great trick for people that tend to move really quick. And like, I'm not, again, I always say dudes always want to do this, but you know, like sometimes you get a lot of different people where they're just naturally, they want to move fast. And then as a coach, I need to like get creative on like, how can I make this person go slower? So the band gives you that instant feedback and it becomes a whole different exercise. And then you're like, holy shit, why is it so hard? Anytime you add tempo to make things uh, slower tends to be a lot more difficult. And then this is kind of like a surefire way. If I wanted to be even meaner, I can put a, a person into a half kneel position with the band and there's like zero room for error, right? So definitely a variation that I highly recommend uh, people trying because there's no way that you're going to go too quickly on this one. So that's another face pull variation that I really, really enjoy using with clients, patients, you name it. Um, another one that I really like using too, if we're going to go down the whole posture route, is adding like a Y press. Again, it's kind of a, um, I wouldn't say advanced, but you need a little bit of, you know, practice when it comes to training. So this is also another banded, like you can do this without the weight stack or anything. But the other thing too, is like, if I wanted to directly influence, you know, the capsule of the shoulder, the last thing I want to do is squeeze. If I want to work those postural muscles, if I let go of my grip, and I place the band around my wrist, I'm literally going to be moving through all those smaller postural muscles and into the shoulder capsule. And then this becomes one of the hardest fucking exercises that has ever been put on to the face of the earth when it comes to pulling exercises. And this is one of those things where like, you know what, I'm playing this video and I'm like, I haven't used this variation in so long and I'm going to start giving this to clients. So uh, beware clients if you're watching this. <laughs> but yeah, another great variation to throw in and play around with. Now, again, I can be talking about face pulls for the next 30 minutes because there's so many different exercises. But another exercise I want to get into is the dumbbell row. So something really important here is if you've been in this fitness industry for a while, you kind of start seeing um, changes. And if you don't keep up with the changes, then you tend to um, be left behind. 
So if you look at my shoulder, I'm actually in a pronated position. And then when I pull, I go into a retracted position. So a long time ago, the cue for rowing is to like tuck the shoulder and keep it there the whole time. But in my head, and a lot of people also figured this out, is like if my shoulder blade and shoulder is designed for protraction and retraction, why would I try to pin it in retraction the entire time? Wouldn't it make sense that when I place my shoulder in protraction with the weight to have it strong enough to be able to go into retraction from a protracted position. And again, this is how I translate my programming into other things. If I have someone deadlifting heavy, what is the one thing that we brought up already that a lot of people break when they deadlift a heavy weight? They go into protraction and then the back rounds. So if I wanted to eliminate that, why wouldn't I want to train my shoulders going into protraction with weight and having enough strength for it to go into retraction as I row? So the dumbbell row is something that I give to everyone. And I now teach that because that's how our shoulders are made. I'm not saying to go all the way down to the ground and rotate our whole torso and whole, rotate the whole thing. But, you know, again, that could be another variation for a different time and place. But for most people, I want to teach them how to do this effectively. And um, that's been a huge game changer when I started doing this, I don't know, like five years ago with people. Um, something really simple that goes a long way. Now, another pulling exercise that I absolutely love, and I got to start like going really quick here because we are running out of time. Uh, da, 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 da. Something called bat wings. So this was made famous by Dan John. And if you don't know who Dan John is, you better look him up. Um, so you get into like a chest supported position and then with some heavy kettlebells, you pull and then you hold for a couple seconds and then you come back down. So with the bow wings, there's literally no cheating whatsoever. And the reason why is that actively you're pushing your chest in as you're rowing. So when I'm pulling, I'm not cheating by like going into an arch position. I'm literally trying to stay here. And now it's all back exercises. Like I'm digging my toes in, squeezing my glutes. And this becomes a very challenging exercise. And I prefer using kettlebells only because it's easier to grab off the ground. And it just, the nature of it, because the weight is a little bit lower, when you pull, you, you won't hit the the bench itself so it becomes a little bit more about practicality and things like that but yeah like huge game changer when it comes to posterior strength and like things that translate over um we were kind of running out of time here but we're going to go into one last thing is chin-ups oop sure let's go um, I always like going into band assisted chin-ups first because most people don't really have the upper body strength to do a full body weight chin-up with some pretty shitty form. So the big thing here that I just did is I put my feet forward. So when you look at people doing chin-ups, 
their legs are kind of dead and they're just hoping to like pull themselves up. But if I want more out of the exercise, I want full body tension, just like the TRX row that we started off this episode with. So it's in my best interest to do the same thing on a very challenging exercise to get more bang for my buck. So then I can progress through it faster. So with the band, um, one again, like I don't jump into like, okay, now go do some bodyweight chin-ups and then they end up looking like this every time. Whereas like, I want them to lead their chest to the bar rather than like, come on biceps, do your thing. And then my shoulders are rounding and then I'm like squeezing to get a rep in. That's not a chin-up. That's just like you squirming up a freaking ledge trying to get over it during the tough mutter or some shit like that. Um, again, training is training. Just think about that. When I give band assist to chin-ups is with the feet, one, I can squeeze my glutes and activate my core a little bit more efficiently than having like floppy legs and are bending them behind me. And with the band, when people do band assist to chin-ups, the worst thing you want, the worst thing to have is like the band literally from the top going, pinning into your chest, going down to your belly button. And if you're a dude going across your like area and then rubbing up and down on it, like that doesn't feel the greatest. So it makes sense to have some space. Um, that being said with the band, it makes it a little bit easier to cue the motion where you're like, you want your shoulder blades to move through that motion as much as possible. And again, like in a perfect world, I wouldn't have someone going into that chin up position. Cause again, it's a fixed position and maybe some people don't have enough, you know, supination to actually pull themselves up. They might just have this much. And now I'm putting them on a fixed position. And that's where a lot of people feel like, oh, my forearms are so sore every time I do um, chin-ups. So ideally, if I could, Olympic rings, just have them really high. And then I could throw in that rotation, just like the T-Rex row. That's going to make it a lot easier. And again, if I'm not competing in some sort of CrossFit games thing where it's just a straight bar doesn't matter if i'm looking to get stronger improve my back muscles then adding rotation is going to be your best friend um i think i'm going to end it there because we went through a lot and i feel that i could probably talk forever but the big thing here is there's so many pulling exercises that i didn't even get through but you can see how vital it is for someone to get strong posteriorly. And I might even do for this part five now, um, a little bit more on pulling um, from a functional standpoint and uh, maybe go into some like combination exercises. Cause I didn't even like get into cable rows or anything like that, but um I think I'm going to end it there. If you guys have any questions at all, let me know. Um, hopefully this kind of gave you some ideas of what you can start incorporating into your workouts. Um, that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Um, hit the subscribe button. Um, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and I'm going to continue giving the best fitness and health advice until, I don't know, until I decide that it's time to retire. So till next time, you guys. What is up in my podcast of listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski. And I'm excited about today's episode because we are going to go into part five of the 10 exercises everyone should be doing. And when I first started this little series, I did not think that this was going to 
be this long and have multiple parts, but uh, you and I both know that I ramble a lot and I have a lot to say and you know, sometimes that's a good thing because now you guys have a lot more to work with. Um, and my like quality of the screen is terrible. I need a new MacBook. Um, but we're going to jump right into it. Um, for those who are listening, 100%, you should be watching this episode because it's going to be a lot of demos. And for those who just maybe started listening to my show and you're like, holy shit, part five in the description of the episode, or I'm going to have part four, three, two, and one. And essentially this whole series has been the 10 exercises that I tend to do with every single person, but I've been kind of categorizing them into um, core exercises, hip hinge exercises, knee dominant exercises, things like that, to kind of give you a category and show you how I progress, regress, and lateralize with uh, clients. So um, we're going to jump right into it. And we are going to go into pressing today. So one, the thing with pressing, I'm going to say this right now. Um, most people tend to have shoulder issues. So I'm very careful with what type of pressing exercises I give. So we're going to look at the horizontal pressing motion compared to vertical, AKA going above your head. Cause one, Overhead mobility is a huge thing for most people that they don't have. And then placing a weight on top of shoulders that can barely move is a bad idea. So when I tend to work with people, um, a lot of them have some sort of shoulder issue, past experience of, um, you know, an injury, or some weird thing that flares up. So what I tend to do with those people is I simply do a floor press and um, I'm gonna tell you why I also throw in the glute bridge here in a second. But if you look at the nature of the um, floor press, you're limited by the floor for depth. And a lot of times when you're dealing with someone's shoulder, and this is gonna be a good example here, I'm gonna pause it. So I'm literally stopped by the floor to go any further. And most people's shoulders, when you go past a certain point, it starts kind of poking forward. And now I have all the stress built up on the anterior part of my shoulder, which is not going to feel good. So if you take that average person that tends to be here, and again, no one's perfect. Like, you know, I've experimented, like I have really good shoulders and I've experimented with going into a uh, dumbbell bench press as low as possible and try to hold it and, you know, isometrically load all the tissues here. And I quickly found out that this stuff started getting really sore and I'm like, okay, well, maybe my shoulders are not that great that I thought of. So um, you have to be really careful with how far you go into certain ranges. And in this case, I found that almost 99% of the time, doing a floor press on someone with a shitty shoulder 
tends to work. And going back to that example of most people being here, and now I'm gonna take two dumbbells or one dumbbell and go as low as possible, you can already see my shoulder popping forward, right? So it's finding that range where the shoulder doesn't pop forward because of lack of mobility. Now, even then, sometimes I'll get people when I get um, uh, the floor press involved, they still feel the shoulder kind of achy, clicky, whatever it is. So then you kind of find that angle. So if I show my shoulder, if I go here coming down, that requires a lot more range of motion through that glenohumeral joint. But as I start going lower, the shoulder kind of falls into a better position. So a lot of it is like, I'm going to show it on this side. A lot of it is just like finding the angle of pressing that has the least amount of, you know, you going against the grain essentially and finding that position that feels the greatest and then pressing from there. And that's a simple like little assessment you could do um, on yourself or even your client or your friend, like literally take their arm and move it to see where the shoulder kind of naturally falls into a better position. <sighs> now, floor press is good to go. Let's talk about why I have people in the glute bridge. At the end of the day, when I'm working with people, no matter what their goal is, they want to look better, right? They want to burn calories. They want to do that. So I tend to kind of layer on top a simple isometric glute bridge because one, when I start with somebody and they have no idea how to activate their glutes, uh, they have a really weak posterior chain and I'm also in their program. And this is how my programming kind of works. It kind of layers on top of each other. Because when I have someone coming in for the first time, usually I give them a floor press if I have a pressing exercise, but I'm also working on their deadlift pattern. So their hip hinge. So in the same workout, they're going to have some sort of hip hinge deadlift thing. So if I'm trying to emphasize them learning how to properly hip hinge, I'm also going to try to layer other exercises that's going to feed into that system AKA I'm going to be doing a glute bridge isometrically. So they get the idea of hip extension and lockout and utilizing those glutes. But sometimes again, because this is, this is where I'm going to go on the rent where assessments play a huge role. If I have someone so deconditioned, so like I haven't worked out in 12 years and I have like zero strength, probably putting them into a floor press with a glute bridge is going to look terrible. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, putting their hips down onto the ground and just doing a floor press. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Now, after that, let's get into our next exercise. Another thing I really like using for pressing um, is the cable machine. And the reason behind this, and kind of goes back to my previous comment about um, layering things. So in this case, I have a half kneeling single arm cable chest press. Now I want to pause it here. Actually, maybe I'm going to keep it going because I'm going to probably switch sides and it's going to look a lot better. So in this case, in a half kneeling position, number one, there's no way to cheat. Like, there's no way. <laughs> um, second, half kneeling position 
helps build a lot of hip stability and core stability at the same time. And those are the two things that people desperately need when they start training. And well, that's a good face that I just like paused on. That's solid. There you go. <laughs> um, those two things will transfer over to other things down the road. And I haven't met a, someone yet where I'm like, bam, your core stability and hip stability are like so good. You don't have to work on anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are the things that people tend to overlook. And even if I had a crossfitter that's really high end of an athlete or a high level dancer, whatever it is, like they all could work on a little bit more hip and core stability to ensure that that can transfer over to their sport. So if I had someone in this position and I really wanted to challenge them, this foot that's in front of me, I'm going to try to make it in line with this knee. And now I, my base of support is super narrow and I have to really work hard to ensure that I don't fall over. So what does that do? This hip has to work really, really, really hard in order to press. Now, the other reason why I like the cable machine is I also kind of have control of how far back I go. And it's also kind of a narrow press. You don't see me kind of going out to the side. So I've had people with, you know, shoulder issues. And I just tell them just like go into a narrow position and they're like, okay, yeah, this feels really good. So I kind of progress people in positions as well. Like I rather give them an exercise that focuses solely on a position where it feels pain-free to also teach the nervous system that, hey, when we press with your shoulder that's had issues in the past, you don't have to constantly have that emergency break on and you know, constantly be high alert and super stressed to keep me safe, right? So we're trying to feed your system, your body, that everything that you're doing in the gym is a safe environment. So then you can kind of back off being super tense and trying to protect us from, you know, some imaginary painful pattern. But those two are kind of where I kind of lead into um, pressing. Now, since we're kind of on the topic of shoulder stuff. I also really like the half kneeling landline press. Can't spell today. Come on, internet. Oh yeah, look at this hair. I can miss my long hair. So half kneeling landmine press. When it comes to shoulder stuff, like I said, most people don't have enough shoulder flexion actively and most likely have some sort of mobility restrictions. Um, putting a dumbbell or kettlebell overhead is probably not going to be the best thing for them or for yourself because you're just loading load on dysfunction essentially. And I hate that word, but you kind of get the idea. So in the nature of the landmine um, press, you're now pressing on a 45 degree angle. Now you can make the argument like, oh, I should just take a dumbbell and press 45. But the nature of how the dumbbell is um, loaded, you have all this anterior load here. Whereas with the landmine, you have the load on an angle. Like it's not just, 
I don't know why I'm pointing at it. Uh, it's not just here. The weight is distributed all the way down into the anchor point of where you have the landmine attached. So if you go off of that logic and biomechanically, it's a little bit better for your shoulder. The other thing that I really love about the landmine is you can load it really heavy. So I've had guys in the past that still think they're college studs and want to lift heavy, but their shoulders are shit. So the landmine is kind of one of those things where let's place a 45 on it. Let's put two 45 pound plates on there and you can get really, really challenged with it. Now, the other thing I really love about the landmine when it comes to pressing is the moment I get to my end range, like I am here, the weight now has to be stabilized by my shoulder blade because if I press and it starts going this way or this way, all of this stuff in here has to stabilize that weight at the very end. Now, this becomes like a strength rehab exercise, but really it's just the nature of how the barbell is positioned that gives you that stimulus. So this becomes a really great exercise for people who want to press who have shitty shoulders. I'm just going to finish this video because I also like to reminisce about my long hair that I kind of want to do again. But uh, from there, say I have someone progressing very, very well when it comes to their shoulders and I want to start introducing um, pressing. Uh, I like to go into a bottoms up press. Now, the reason behind this is the moment I have a weight, like the kettlebell upside down, requires a lot of stability work, like a lot. And when the shoulder has something to stabilize against, it's going to put itself in a better position as I'm trying to press. So sometimes what I'll do is maybe not even go all the way above the head, just like in this video, I might just go to here and then back down here and then back down and eventually end up going into the full lockout position. I tend to do this before trying, um, you know, any kind of press overhead with a dumbbell, um, it just tends to work a little bit better. And when it comes to overall strength, like just general strength, a lot of people lack the stability in order to get those higher numbers. So a lot of times working on a lighter weight that requires more stability will give you that overall strength. And like this comes down to also programming. Like if I'm training like someone three days a week, maybe one day is a strict, you know, dumbbell overhead press for like four to five reps heavy. Then the next day is a half kneeling uh, bottoms up press that's lighter and requires a lot of stability. And then the other third day I'm doing a landmine press. Because maybe the person's goal is like, I really want to press like 135 on the barbell overhead because I just feel strong when I do it or it was something that they used to do and they want to be able to do it again. Then that becomes a whole challenge of creativity and programming, right? So this is where my kind of thought process goes. So from there, if I were to choose another pressing um 
variation of getting overhead eventually is getting into you know a dumbbell press you can go half kneel tall kneel you can go double um shoulder press and that's the other thing too is I tend to stay away from doing dumbbell presses out here because I haven't had a lot of success with general population clients pressing wide and maintaining that position. Um, again, it's something I can like try again because I haven't done in years, but time and time again, I've had people try to press out this way and things just tend to fall apart. So I tend to go two dumbbells or one dumbbell neutral and then press. It just tends to work a little bit better. The one thing that I will say is a kettlebell shoulder press when you have it in the front rack position and then you kind of turn to press seems like a little bit more of a natural thing for most people because when you think about our shoulder joint really likes rotation. So if I have a kettlebell here and then I'm rotating my whole one wrist forearm going into extension, my shoulder tends to flow a little bit better. The thing that I have started using that I absolutely love is a palm press and it's only been recently that i've been throwing this in with clients and it's been working really really well and there's a couple of reasons so number one when you look at this video you can see the nature of how the kettlebell is placed on my palm and the little handle is on my forearm there's a couple of reasons why we do this a lot of times especially with women when you look at wrist structure they tend to have this bone here on the wrist stick out a little bit more than men so when we start pressing overhead with women we have the bell sitting here and sometimes because you know we start off lighter and those lighter bells are smaller and the bell portion tends to go a little bit higher so it kind of hits this and i tell people like you can move this all over but sometimes it's you can't find the right position so the easy way of doing it is putting the um, kettlebell in your palm and now you have a kind of a palm press and that tends to work the other reason why this is really awesome there's a huge stability component because you're like, holy shit, I'm not actually grabbing this. And even if you're trying to like grab it, it's not going to feel stable. There's a point where it kind of feels like it might fall. So you're actually going really slow, kind of like a bottoms up press. So you're, you know, um, stabilizing it. So now the shoulder is working a little bit harder. Now, the other thing too, is if you look at my video of how I'm pressing, I'm constantly looking at it and if you look at my rib cage, it's actually flaring out to the side and then coming back down to neutral. I am not opposed to that because traditionally when I worked with kettlebells, it's like stack, 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 stack. But there's something, you know, deep in our DNA that when we would go reach for something, like our rib cage can tilt into lateral flexion to grab something, or are you trying to climb something? So if you try this at home, you're naturally going to want to tilt. It's like, it's rooted in our DNA for some reason. Like when I kind of expose myself to this, I didn't even think of it, but I think there's something to like us reaching and grabbing and having that lateral tilt and training in those positions. So something to play around with and something I've been thinking about, but that's essentially some progressions going into um, overhead pressing that I tend to use, but there's also so many other variations when it comes to just horizontal, um, 
pressing. And I know I said that I'm going to just do horizontal pressing in this video, but we're kind of jumping all over the place. But um, something I want to bring up is kind of the progressions of pressing horizontally. Um, I really like after, uh, let's see if this is going to pop up. Say I have someone doing a basic dumbbell bench press and we've done it for four to you know eight weeks. Something I like to do to kind of add a little flair or spice to it, as I as people say, is an alternating dumbbell bench press. The reason why I like throwing an alternating dumbbell bench is the moment you have one coming down, one you're stabilizing the top one for it not to you know veer off into space and time. But the moment you come down, your core now has to stabilize you as you're trying to press up and then do the same thing on the other side. So it's more of a stability and challenge more so than a strength challenge. And again, remember what I said about trying to improve overall strength, you need to also work on stability quite a bit. So that's, you know, one way of doing it. The other uh, progression that I go from here that I absolutely love doing with clients is a seesaw press. I feel like I need to update this video because this is old. <laughs> so same position, similar to an alternating press, but the moment I'm at the bottom, I'm already pressing with the other one. So it's a lot of rotary stability that requires um, a lot of stabilization. So something like this, and like you can even see how my feet are really trying to like stabilize my body without you know falling, is a great way to challenge stability a lot. Um, and then the same thing uh, kind of goes towards you know putting yourself on an incline, putting yourself um, on a decline bench. Like there's so many different variations. Like even this one here, you can go into a half kneeling shoulder press. That's um, you know, in a seesaw position. I've also done presses, both flat bench, incline bench, decline bench, where I'm holding one at the bottom isometrically and then the other one's pressing. Or same idea is the top one is holding and then I'm just pressing with the bottom one. Like there's, the world is your oyster when it comes to these kind of pressing movements. Um, so you kind of like, you can, pick whatever you kind of want. Um, that's pretty much it when it comes to pressing. Like I know there's so many different other variations, but the one thing I will say is I haven't really had a lot of people press with a barbell overhead. Um, one, sometimes it comes down to just logistics in the gym. Like do you have a squat rack? available at all times to place a barbell, load the plates on to press overhead. Um, the other, you know, um, thing to that equation is, um, the mobility and stability. Like I get more bang for my buck being able to press one kettlebell or one dumbbell overhead and then moving on to another exercise than constantly worrying about a barbell. I just feel like you can get a lot more done with a different tool than just a barbell and, 
it just requires more prerequisites because it's a fixed um, instrument than say a kettlebell. But um, since we're doing kind of good on time, I'm gonna get into um, maybe squats. I think we touched on this a little bit, but um, something that I wanna bring up with squats is this is primarily based on the assessment. Like, I feel like I need to do another episode on why assessments are so, so vital. Um, I might actually do an entire assessment with the wife to showcase how to find a good squat position. But um, the thing that we need to go over um, is kind of prerequisites for squatting. Uh, so the one thing that I do in my mentorship is we go over um, kind of like progressions and regressions of um, each exercise. And a lot of times when it comes to um, training, you'll get people of all different shapes, sizes, and things like that. So I always try to get people in my mentorship problem solving. So one of the questions I always bring up is like, okay, say the barbell back squat is the end all be all. And that is the hardest thing in this category of exercises dealing with the squat. If you had someone coming off a hip replacement surgery and you need to get them squatting again, what would be like a level zero exercise and then you start seeing people really think they're like oh shit like how do i make a squat really really easy and they're like okay well maybe like some assistance maybe some sort of like holding on to the wall and i'm like you're on the right track but sometimes you need to build the pattern before you load your system so this is something i stole from dan john when he had a hip replacement and his surgeon was like, you're never going to barbell squat again. So he got himself into a quadruped position. But if you can tell, like my wife's knees are a lot wider than, you know, if you're going into like a bird dog position and she's keeping her spine neutral as she's pushing back into um, hip flexion. So if you look at it from like, if you tilt your whole phone, laptop, tablet, whatever you're looking at, this is a squat. So if I had someone with a hip thing, hip replacement, I want to teach the nervous system, the pattern again, in a safe environment. And this tends to be very pain-free. So now we're teaching the body how to get into a squat position without harm. And that's going to be a precursor to everything else that we do. So after I do that, I like to go into um, assisted squats. So a lot of times when well, I don't even have the video for it, let's see if I have, all right, well, we're not gonna show that video, but um, I always will use a TRX holding onto the handle and then going into squat position because now I am loading my body uh, vertically, compressional forces um, by holding a TRX or even holding the edge of a um, 
called the squat rack can give me a little bit more stability to, you know, challenge my body a little bit more before I started loading it. And then from there, we'll go into a goblet squat. Um, there it is. So I tend to use the goblet squat a lot with people. And it's like a staple that I always use because it is a self-correcting movement. So because I have the load anteriorly, it promotes my torso to stay upright. If I'm holding something like this that's heavy, the last thing my body wants to do is fall into this position. So naturally your body's going to get into a more optimal position while squatting. Now, a lot of people look at the goblet squat as like a beginner exercise, but I always make the argument that I could probably take the strongest guy in the gym, give him a hundred pound dumbbell and tell him to squat down eccentrically for four seconds, hold the bottom for four seconds and shoot up as fast as possible and do 10 reps of that. That would smoke them so quick and they'll be like, wow, this is the hardest squat that I've ever done in my life. So if you are currently listening, doing goblet squats, I highly recommend you try to do that where you take the heaviest dumbbell you can hold on to eccentrically. So for four seconds, you go one, Mississippi two, Mississippi three, Mississippi four, hold the bottom for one, Mississippi two, Mississippi three, Mississippi four, and then shoot up and like aim for 10 reps. You'll be surprised how much your legs are gonna get smoked from just doing that. That being said, all the exercises that we just went on, as things get easier, you should be challenging yourself in different tempos. Like maybe you don't do an eccentric, maybe you hold the bottom of a squat, a bottom of a split squat, the bottom of a deadlift for four seconds and then shoot up. Or the, say in this case, the squat, you going up concentrically you're going as slow as possible and then doing a descent at a normal pace. Like tempo is something that people don't really play around with enough. I don't think they just tend to like, I'm doing bicep curls and going back down, bicep curls and going back down. And that doesn't really give you enough stimulus because your body can adapt pretty quickly. Um, I tend to go from the goblet squat into like two dumbbells here, but I tend to now rotate the dumbbells here because a lot of people will rest it on their shoulders. I like it this position here because it also isometrically loads your biceps. So for dudes, that's a great variation. Um, I honestly don't do back squats with a lot of people. Like right now in my client load, um, I have one person doing it and she's been with me for the last 10 years. And she has a lot of the prerequisites in order to do it. I actually have a client right now that's coming to me pr primarily for uh, kin stretch, but the workouts that they're doing requires a lot of barbell stuff, including the back squat, which is completely kind of destroying their low back and hip and SI joint. So right now what we're kind of focusing on is building better hips, building better functioning um, core stability in order to do those things. Um, so sometimes it's like, if I have someone wanting to do it, let's just like create the prerequisites for that. And maybe I can even go into part six of this series, looking at 
um, the kin stretch movements that I do with everybody that you should be doing as well. And I think that would be a good way to kind of finish this thing off because we kind of went through core um, pressing today, squatting today, um, pulling last time, deadlifts, lunges. I can't remember if I said core exercises, but I think we covered quite a bit of stuff. So maybe the last part of the series will be all the mobility things from Kim Stretch that I use with people and kind of finish it off there. But um, let's kind of stop the screen share and finish up. So um, I spoke a lot. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, more than happy to answer your questions. I'm really happy that I got back into this because I kind of fell off with some other ideas and episodes I had. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. That's it for me. Till next time.